welcome to Praxis Pedagogy Podcast. This podcast is about the practice of honing our craft as educators. Life is an apprenticeship, and we want to build a guild of educators where we can all come together, learn from each other, rant with each other, and center our praxis and our pedagogy so we can become better in our craft. Hey everyone, and welcome back to this bonus episode on Praxis Pedagogy Podcast. This is the third live session that we did on the YouTube channels, and it's entitled Tools and Tech for Online TVET. So Chad, mostly Chad and mostly Ed, talk about the tools and tech that they are using in their pivot to online education when it comes to trades and business education. I think I, at the end of it, I give a little peppering of what I'm doing. Get your pens and pencils ready because this is a great episode. And again, the beauty of this is that you can rewind and go back and uh, listen to it over and over again. You can also contact Chad and Ed and myself on Twitter. All those things will be in the show notes for use. And uh, thanks again for tuning in. I know you're going to love this episode. There's tons of stuff in here. So sit back, relax, or if you're on a run or you're on your bike or you're just driving, have a great day. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to session three. Rapid fire sessions. That last one was awesome with the uh, students, man. That was great. What a great perspective. Oh, and yeah, uh, really good. Yeah, you could you could sense that they're a little hesitant to share what they were really thinking on some of the questions because it's like, <laughs> hmm, surrounded by professors here. I'm not sure <laughs> if I would really want to give my uh, my my real opinion, but uh, they did well. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice work, Ed, bringing those people in. They were great. Mm-hmm. No worries. Great. Don't worry. All right. So this last session is called Tools and Tech for TVET. Say that five times fast with a uh, mouthful of IPA. Um, <laughs> so, oh, I forgot this is live. I can't. Uh, this is not a podcast. Thanks for coming, everybody. Yeah. Um, okay. So, Chad, this is your show. This is the time where Ed and I can just sit back and relax and and do a little thing here. But uh, um, maybe after your presentation, we'll chat. We'll chat a little bit about uh, how Ed and I have integrated some stuff into the um, into our system. You ready? Yeah, and just because Ed does have Ed's got he does a lot of the same stuff that I do. So I think you've got a little something something at the end there too, right, Ed? Yeah, I have some of it if we want to use it. Yeah. Oh, we, oh, we want to. <laughs> oh, right. Oh, to. Yeah. Oh, the more yeah. perspective, oh, yes. the better. That's the way I feel about it. Hey, hey, I didn't, I didn't get my background dressed up for nothing here, so we're all good. Exactly. On the, on the first two, you could see the scratched up walls and all the other stuff, and now I thought I'd spruce it up a little bit. All right, here we go. There it is. All right, so today we're, I'm going to be talking about online learning tools. I'm not going to get too much into like the pedagogy or philosophy behind them. I'll talk a little bit about that, but I'm just going to kind of show my process. And one thing that I always say when I start sharing my process with other instructors and educators is this is my process. It doesn't make it the right process. It just means that this is the way that I do it. So take what you want from it or dismiss the whole thing. It's just, I, I just like to share kind of the, the tips and tricks that I use and that they, they seem to be working for me and for my students. So with that in mind, when we're teaching online, and I think one thing we constantly, constantly have to remember is we were in a presentation yesterday with Clint Lalonde from BC Campus, and he mentioned that it's all about the connection, the human connection. I am a, I'm a tech junkie. I've loved computers my whole life, and I love coding and, and all that. Any kind of ed tech, as soon as I started teaching, I was all in. But as I've been teaching throughout this process, the one thing that I always keep coming back to is these tools are a way to engage with students. So that has to be first and foremost. It has to be the students first. And how can these tools help our students? If the tool is cool and you like it, but it doesn't help your students, it's time to ditch it or reformat it or figure out how to use it. So that's my little soapbox rant is just make sure that these tools are being used appropriately for your students not just to make your lives easier. The whole thing that we always have to, I have to remind myself is, what can I be doing to make my students' lives a little more easier through this time? So my online learning tools, uh, the ones I'm gonna talk to you today, and again, this is like a 30,000 foot view of them all. I'm gonna talk about video conferencing software, how I use them. 
learn our learning management system, how I use them, a chat, how I use the chat functions in, and then some formative assessment tools that I find very useful. And I'll talk a little bit about them as well. And again, I'll leave some time for questions at the end of Fred as well. Now I'm going to be using proprietary um, tools here. So when I talk about my video conferencing software, I'm talking about Zoom. When I'm talking about ILMS, I'm talking about Brightspace. When I talk about chat, I'm talking about Slack. When, that in mind, all that the other tools that are out there do the same thing. So Zoom will be the same as Bongo, which is the same as Teams, which is the same as Google Meet. They all have the same function. So when I mention these different little things that I use within the tool itself, to my knowledge, most of them have the same functions out there. So again, any questions along the way, let me know. And that goes for you and uh, Ed as well, Tim. So let's jump into it. So video conferencing software, I, like I said, it's Zoom. It's great for live lectures. And when we first started this remote learning online, a lot of us were doing that and all the power to us. Like we had a very short amount of time to learn how to teach in front of a computer screen. We've got some more time to reflect now. And one thing that we're learning and that the studies are showing, and yes, it's all anecdotal studies, but our students cannot handle being in front of a screen for three hours at a time. When you think about it, and I've got a friend who's actually a clinical counselor, and I was talking to him about this. They call it Zoom fatigue. Because when our students are in a face-to-face class, they see the five-foot-eight version of me in front of them. When I am going on, on a screen, depending on whether they're looking at it through their phones or through like a regular screen, that becomes a lot smaller. Their focus has to focus in even more so on that. So it, for their brain, it's more difficult to stay engaged for longer periods of time. Now we could get in a whole discussion about whether the three-hour lecture or three-hour class sessions were useful in the first place. That's a whole other topic for another time. But I do, I, I acknowledge that, yes, a lot of us were doing live lectures, but I think that video conferencing allows us to do so much more. And it allows us to be so much more engaging as opposed to just using this broadcast method where we just spew a bunch of information out at our students and they just take it in. I think there's a way that we can get them involved. So one of the things that I ask here is how many users did Zoom have as of March 2020? And I know that this will come up in the chat maybe later. So I'm not going to ask because there's a bit of a delay and a lag. But Tim, you're not allowed to answer this. But Ed, do you know how many, how many users Zoom had as of March 2020? I don't know, uh, 6 million. I don't know. Yeah. Good guess. Good guess. So 200 million, oh, but, okay. <laughs> but, but that was up from 10 million the previous December. So look at that amount of growth. Like it just showed that we all forced ourselves online. And like I mentioned yesterday, that there was a huge infrastructure growth that went along with that. Lots of bugs and everything worked out, um, with that because we went from barely using online stuff like that to suddenly everybody having to. So I thought that was just an interesting stat. Now, this is the way I set up my day. And I, I bring this up because this is where I use my video conferencing the most. So my daily schedule is this. I actually log in online at 7.30 a.m. And I let my students know that I'm there. I, I post something. I'll talk about that in a second. And I tell them from 7.30 to 8, if they have any questions or they just want to chat or whatever, I'm there for them. So I log in at 7.30. Class begins at 8 a.m. I use Zoom, so they all they they log in. Now I don't require my students to turn their cameras on. I for me, I don't feel that that's necessary. Um, I do require them to be there though. So I use a method that Ed will talk about too, and he when he goes on to talk about this. It's a hybrid where it's a hybrid synchronous asynchronous. So I I have my students log in, and they have to be there. They know that they need to be online at 8 a.m. I only have 16 students, so it's really easy for me to take attendance. Those that don't end up online, they lose some of their, what I call a professionalism mark. That's another conversation for another day. In this session, it generally runs from 8 till 9.45. Sometimes it goes to 10. In this session is I start, I give a very broad lecture on what today's topics are going to be about. So that, that would be my Mondays. Okay, this is, I, I go over what the week is going to be concerned with. I then go into a little bit of the topics that we're going to go into. And all the time I'm, I'm kind of interacting with the students. And then what I'll do is around 9.45 to 10, as I give them an assignment that they have to do from 10 till 12. So I, I've got a lot of diff- little group projects that I have them working on, different uh, 
different types of authentic assessments I'm really working on. Again, that would be another conversation another time. Go ahead and reach out to me if you have questions about how I do those. But I make sure that they've got something to work on. I've designed my program so that they have a checklist, and I'll go over this, so that they can go through the checklist for the day so they can follow along with what they, they need to know. So from 10 to 12 is what I call independent study time. That doesn't mean that it's independent in the fact that they have no access to me. They have complete 100% access to me. Those that are struggling with things, topics, situations, equations, this is their time to actually have my attention one-on-one or for, for smaller group sessions. So what I'll do is I'll let them know that, okay, you guys, you've got some work to do. I'm releasing you, go make a ruckus. But if you're struggling with this, as always, I'm available in Slack, which I'll talk about in a second, or I can hop in on a personal Zoom session. We can walk through some stuff. In my eight weeks using this method now, there's rarely a time where I'm not fully at my computer from 10 to 12 engaging with some student or another. This allows some students who can just go ahead and read through the information and just get it done to do that. But it also allows for some of the other students who struggle with it to really have some one-on-one time for instructors. Then I move into my noon session. So at noon, again, we all are expected to log on, whether they've completed all their checklists or not, whether they've done all the quizzes and basically are ready for the final, they need to be there. Because in the noon session, what I do is a lot of group work. And so I'll talk about that in a second. So what I'll, I'll do is I'll put them into groups. And then from about 12 to about 1.45-ish, maybe two, we're checking in with each other. At two o'clock, I call them all back from the groups. Again, using Zoom or any any video conferencing software will do it. And then I have a recap of the day. I do a check-in with them and then I let them go for the afternoon. So that's how I, I run my, my sessions. Now, how I use my Zoom in all of this is I start every session with a poll. The poll is always the first thing that they see when they log in. So 7.30, I have a question ready to go. This one says, how are you feeling this morning? Sometimes it, it'll ask, what's your favorite kind of pie? What's the best action movie? Who's your favorite rapper? There's always some sort of poll that's always up there. I, I did it because I thought it was funny and fun. Uh, so after about week three, I was losing questions. I couldn't figure out any more questions to put up there. So I stopped doing it. And my students revolted. They actually really enjoy having, they were like, where's the poll? So they love engaging that way. And I found that they were, they were, they were joking around and talking. There's like, getting engaged with each other, especially when you start mentioning movies and pop culture, they would start talking to each other in the chat. So I kept it, I brought it back. So I'm, uh, if anybody has any good links to questions that you can ask in polls, please share them with me because I'm rapidly running out of questions again and again. Uh, One thing I've, I've really learned in my time here is to keep my sessions short and interactive. So as I mentioned before, I, I stay away from a, a me lecturing for three hours because I'm going to lose them at any point anyways. What I'll do is I'll ask a question. I'll use a whiteboard and, and Zoom or anything I can share a screen. And I have what's called a, a Wacom tablet. So I can just write on my screen. So I use different colors, just like I would on a whiteboard in class. And I'll throw up problems or throw up like a, a situation or a scenario and then have them work through it and then kind of answer back. So I, I do that. And that's why I only try to keep my sessions two hours at the most because I find that I lose them otherwise. So I keep them short. I keep them interactive. It's a lot of work to get them there, but once the students kind of get into the rhythm of all this, you'll find that they really start to embrace the engagement. I use the feedback features. So Zoom will have these feedback features where you can answer yes, no, go slower, go faster. Under the more, you have a thumbs up, thumbs down. Uh, kind of a, a wave and then there's a coffee cup there which basically says I need a break. You'll always have the the joker student who's constantly hitting the coffee cup at all the time and uh, I have like three or four of them in my class right now so please pray for me. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, they, so what I'll do is I'll ask a question and then I'll say okay when you're done the question hit the yes button please so I know when we're done. So out of the 16 when I see about 11 or 12 people have hit yes then I'll go into the explanation. And so I'll go through an explanation and then I'll check in with them. I'll say, hey, if you understand what I'm saying, hit the thumbs up or hit the thumbs down if you don't. And that's where the, the jokers will always hit the coffee cup. But so then I'll see thumbs up. But then if I see a couple thumbs down, I know that I need to go back and I need to re-engage or I need to explain it differently. So until I see basically no thumbs down or if it's a thumbs down, I can see who's putting thumbs down. I never call them out. But I've, then I, I'll say something like, okay, I know there's a couple of you still struggling with this. 
what I'm going to do is in the morning session from 10 to 12, I'm going to be online. So hop in there and we'll, we'll talk more about it. So this feature here has really brought the, my morning sessions and got them way more engaging because they are all checking in. And I, I love to see that they like to use that thumbs up, thumbs down feature, whether or not that they understand things. And it helps me as an instructor. It actually, I find it easier than face-to-face because in face-to-face, we always have those students that are nodding and they're getting it, but then they're not getting it, right? Yeah, just like what Tim's doing right now. So this way, they feel safe enough that they can put it, because they know that not everybody's seeing all these things. So that's one of the, the features that I really enjoy. Breakout rooms. What I'll do with, with my breakout rooms is I will use the LMS that I use, and we use Brightspace, B2L, to assign groups. And then when I go into my um, group work in the afternoon, I can manually pick who goes into what room. I know a lot of people who use Zoom breakout rooms will just hit that automatic. So you'll set up, okay, I want eight rooms or I want four rooms with 16 students. It'll automatically assign four to it. You can go ahead and you can hit manual and you can place students in certain rooms. So I make sure that when I do my group work, that for a week, they're always in the same group in the afternoon session. So they get used to each other. And these sessions are to me, one of the most important parts of the day because they are learning from each other. and as good as instructors I might be, the best instructor in the room is always other students. Peer learning is huge. So I really try to facilitate that with my students. So I'll have them go into these breakout rooms. And again, if you think that that's great, because then I can go watch a movie or take a nap on the couch, you'd be wrong. Because what I need to do at that point is I let them into their groups for about five minutes. Then I start hopping in because as an instructor in the breakout rooms, you can join the group. So I'll join the group and I'll ask if there's questions and I'll get them to show me the work that they're working on and I'll have them engage that way. And then I'll hop out and into the next group. So it's like me putting them into pods. I used to do this face to face into groups and then walking around the classroom, checking in on them. I do the same thing with Zoom. And what I'm finding is the students are actually, once they have these groups and they're getting used to each other, they're starting to have their own Zoom sessions after hours of study groups because they're getting used to it. So having them work with each other and facilitating that collaborative function within online, I think is really useful. I find that when they get into industry, they're going to have to learn how to do that anyway. So this is one of those hidden curriculum things where I'm forcing them to collaborate and to learn how to collaborate. Again, I get them to do self-assessment, peer assessment, and all that stuff as well. That would be another topic for another time as well, but it's working really, really well. Now our learning management system, our learning man and man and men T system management. I forgot to change that. <laughs> we use Brightspace D2L. All the, what I'm going to talk about can be done through Moodle, can be done in Canvas. It's all, they've all got similar functions, right? It's just different types of tools. So what I do is I make sure that I have everything organized. I, I organize my modules into, so this one, for example, I've got series circuits. So I, I've got my worksheets in a folder. I've got audio in a folder. What I do is when I do give my students readings, I've noticed in trades education that a lot of students won't do the readings or they can't do the readings or they just struggle too hard with it. So I do a quick, and I learned this from Mike Wesh, I'll read through the chapter. And so I'll just kind of hop on my mic, do a read through, record it, and then throw it in there for them. And you'd be surprised at how many students appreciate that. So some students can read and have no problem reading, but they just take it in easier when they can actually hear it or read, have somebody read along with it. And then some don't read so that they actually listen to it. And some can do it on, when they go for a run and go to the gym, they can take it with them. So yes, it's a bit more work on our end, but it's really helpful for the students. Videos, so I'll either create or curate. And I've talked about this before, is uh, I go to YouTube, I'll find videos that are there that describe the topic, or I've made some, so I'll post my videos there. PDFs I'll put into there, so like any kind of articles or anything. Quizlets, that's what the formative features I'll talk about later on. And I've built some labs using some open source software. So I'll have them all organized in these folders. Now, when I was doing face-to-face, I found, and I used the same system, I found that students struggled trying to find things. And I was trying to figure out a way to kind of work around that until I saw a podcast or a, a video blog on a, by an instructor we talked about how they use checklists. So I went to look to see if Brightspace had a checklist feature, and they do, as does Moodle, as does Canvas, as does everybody. So one thing I would caution you is don't use your LMS as a dump and run. Don't use it as a place to just toss all your resources. 
and then leave it to your students to find it. Make it easily accessible for your students to get to. The way I do that is through checklists. So I have a daily checklist that I build. So this would be week three for DC Fundamentals. They've got on Monday, we did series circuits. Tuesdays, we hit parallel. Wednesday, we hit combinations. We reviewed combinations on Thursday, and then they have their unit final. So I tell my students that when they go into their LMS, the only thing they need to look at, don't go looking in folders. Don't go looking for quizzes. Don't go looking for assignments. They will all be in your checklist. This is what my checklist looks like. I break my checklist out into different sections, different lists. So I build it as a read, watch, do, and show. Read is all the reading. So all the PDFs or anything that I put in there, you'll see the Delmars I uh, have there is like which chapter they need to read. And then you'll see that there's a blue thing that says listen to the audio here. Everything that is in those folders is hyperlinked on this, this check sheet. So all they have to do is click on the hyperlink and it takes them to the worksheet. It takes them to the reading. It takes them to the videos. It's a one-stop shop for a student. So they know now that when they go online to their D2L, they don't have to go looking, okay, I'm going to go to the worksheet folder now. And I'm going to go to this folder now. And I'm going to go to this folder now because they don't. But when they go to the checklist, they just work their way down through the checklist. And then when they've completed it all, they check it off, which allows me as an instructor to see if they've got it done. So that's been really helpful to students. That's one of the things that they really appreciate the most they've said is having that one-stop shop and not having to go looking elsewhere. I, for me, this, the chat features and chat tools, one of the most powerful tools that an online teacher has available to them. The video conferencing is great. Your LMS is great, but engaging with your students is where it's at. It's always been about that for many of us is we love to teach because we love those interactions with our students. We can still have that. And in fact, we can have interactions with our students that normally wouldn't interact with us. Our students are online all the time. They're chatting all the time. They're on WhatsApp. They're on Snapchat. They're in Discord. They have got some sort of chat function going all the time. So what I, we try to do is we try to mimic that for them. And what I do is I use Slack. So there's different tools out there. I know, Ed, I think you use Microsoft Teams. Um, there's another one, open source one called Rocket Chat. There's Slack. Most and, and your LMSs, some of them will have that function available to them. But what I do is I, I make sure that I have one central place that they can go to communicate with me and with each other. Email is a great way to go if you're not familiar with this or you don't feel like you need to do this. Email is still a good touch point. Every student has an email address. You've got an email address. The notifications are there. I just find that they are used to these channels anyways, and there's a lot more that I can do with it than I find I can do with email. So what it does is it allows me to have an open line of communication with my students. <clears throat> I can constantly be talking with them. I can be checking in with them, and I don't have to call them out in class. I can have a direct message conversation with the student just by clicking on their name and saying, hey, I noticed you weren't, or you were a little late to the session. I just wanted to make sure everything's okay. Or just, you know, you're, I noticed that you hadn't done last night's quiz. I just want to make sure everything's okay. You can check in with them. So you can have that sort of function going on. I release a morning quiz to them every morning. And it's in Slack that it gets released to them. So I use something called Rocketbook. So I, I will write out a quiz in my handwriting as opposed to typing it out. I find that if I write it out, it forces them to write it out. And then if they write it out, it gets stuck in their head a little more. Again, that's more of a discussion again for another time. Um, then what I find is I can just get interactions going. Now, one thing I would caution, and I mentioned this in a session I did yesterday, is I'm really bad for setting my boundaries on this sort of thing because, because it's on my phone, because it's open on my computer all the time, and because I really enjoy talking to my students, I need to let them know that from 7.30 to 2.30, they have my full attention. If they ask me a question in Slack, they're going to get an answer back almost instantly unless I'm in a discussion with somebody else. From 2.30 on to 6.00, you've got some of my attention. If I, if I can answer it, I will. From six o'clock on, I'm not gonna answer because it's family time. All right, but they all know I'm gonna break that though. So they, uh, they still, they check in with me, but they don't get mad when I don't answer because I've already said no, I won't answer. But you know, once in a while they'll ask a question and it's always predicated with that. Hey, I know you're not online right now, but I wanted to get this question in before I forgot about it. And then I check it in the morning, right? So. I tell them if they're going to text me late at night, I'm going to text them early in the morning. So I get up at 4 a.m. If they're okay with getting a 4 a.m. text for me to answer back, we're all good. 
So we all have a good laugh about that because then I get the 1 a.m. text from them. So <clears throat> it's an open line of communication with the student. It allows me to share files. So if I have a quick PDF I want to share with the entire class, I can just toss it into Slack, just drag and drop. It's just that easy into one of the channels. It drops it in there and the students have complete access to it. I can also go ahead and search. If I forget the name of a PDF or can't find the PDF, I can type in that I know it has magnetism in it, let's say. Slack will go through and it'll search it and search all the channels to find out anything, anytime magnetism was mentioned and then show me all that. So then I can say, okay, there's that PDF and I can open it up and, and go from there. So it's very searchable. The students use it as a way to communicate with each other. Now, whether you realize it or not, and I'm sure most of us as instructors know this, our students in classes will have a back channel going. It's typically a WhatsApp group. And I've been invited to my classes WhatsApp group only to wish that I had never actually seen what was going on in there. So <laughs> I, I let them have their own back channels, okay? <laughs> you, don't, you don't want no part of that. Stay away um, from but, that swamp. Oh, but from there, I also encourage them to, within Slack, when we have group projects, use Slack as your group channel so that you can communicate with each other. So they, they do it. It's a, it's a good way to do it. Because some students don't use what, WhatsApp. Some will form WhatsApp and some will get into WhatsApp. Some don't have WhatsApp. Some don't have Snapchat. Some don't use Discord. So by making them kind of log into Slack, at least it's a one central point that they all have access to. So they can uh, communicate with each other. So that's my chat stuff. Um, I'm going to get into some of the formative tools. Now I know I'm going fast and furious, but there's uh, there'll be time for questions. And again, my Twitter handle is scrolling along the bottom there. Thanks to Tim. So if you have any questions or want to talk more about some of what I've already gone through, please hit me up. You can get me at, at Twitter and I'll, if, Tim, if you could place our email addresses in there too, that would be fantastic. Yeah. No problem. So formative assessment tools. I love to use them. They're, they're fun for a student. Uh, actually, I'm going to skip ahead to one. There's one that is the most popular out there that most of us have used is Kahoot. And if I click on this, I'm going to see it opens up. I'm going to actually stop sharing my screen for a second, Tim, and I'm going to share my another screen. So is it, can you guys see that? Yeah, there we go. So with Kahoot, I just, it's just questions. It's basically an online uh, quiz game that you can build really super easy, multiple choice. The students, they get more points the faster they answer. Completely moves to online very, very, very well. I've done cahoots with my students online as well as face-to-face, -face, and it works seamlessly. So it's a great way to go that way. I always try to throw some pop culture trivia type stuff in there just to kind of make it fun with them. So that's Kahoot. Going back to here. Flipgrid is one that I discovered last year, and it is a video uh, feedback. So you give prompts and your students answer the prompts by video. Now you would think that might be difficult because not all students need to want to have their face on camera and Flipgrid has done an amazing job of, you can have avatars up, you can have, you can actually have like the witness relocation blurry face kind of filter go on there. There's different ways for students to feel safe when they do these videos. What I love about Flipgrid is they also integrated a whiteboard into this. So what you can get your students to do is I'm, I build a lot of instructional kind of quick tutorial videos. I can get my students to actually do the same thing on Flipgrid and add them in there. And I've got an example here of one of my students work. Let me share this. And I'm going to hit, so he basically put this together to explain how parallel circuits work. So what I did at the end of the day, is I drew this circuit up on the whiteboard. I said, okay, it's 400 volts. You need to kind of walk through Here's all the information. I need you to walk through and explain me how to solve this, this uh, information with what we've got. I'm gonna play it. Can you guys hear the sound? No. No? no? Too bad, because there's this drum and bass soundtrack that he's built in there. And he's giving a <laughs> shout out, he's got this, smooth, silky voice, like a radio announcer. And so he goes through and he explains, you'll notice that I'll just play it without the sound right now, but he's used a carrot as a pointer that he kind of put in there. This is all done through Flipgrid and super easy to do. Mm -hmm. So he's right now he's explaining how all this, this stuff works. 
So again, unfortunately, the sound's not there, but it's a great feature. Now, he put that out there. It's the first Flipgrid we did in our class. He upped the game. So the next the next one that I did, I used to do this weekly, is the next students had to do another one. All the resistors were pictures of my face. It got really disturbing. <laughs> but the content was great, and they had a lot of fun with it, and they were creative, and they really engaged with it. So Flipgrid, there's, there's so many different tools out there. You can go to what they call their disco library and you can go in there and other instructors have put how they use Flipgrid. To, you can type in anything like serious circuits. They'll have an instructor that's probably built something already for prompts and that sort of thing to use. So Flipgrid is well worth looking into. Kahoot, I've already gone over. H5P is, I, I don't even know where to begin with this. We should have, there's, there's sessions upon sessions upon sessions of information we can go into this. It's basically an interactive tool that allows us to build uh, quizzes, um, interactive interactive video, interactive elements, uh, hotspots, you name it, you can build it in H5P and it's completely embeddable. So I'm going to show you an example that I have here, something I built. So this is a hotspot image I use. Again, I can completely embed this in my LMS. I just click on that and then there's a description of what a field poll is. I can click on any of these, there's pictures. So you can add, you can add video into these as well. So you can really expand things out. So you can put this in your LMS, say, okay, here's a picture of how this all works. But uh, you know, there's more description of an armature. So they can really dig deep. It allows them to open up more information. This is just what they call the hotspot. Now there's quiz sets you can build, true and false sets, arithmetic quizzes, interactive video they just released the beta i think actually it's out of beta now for a branching scenario so basically you can build a choose your own adventure which would be amazing to do for troubleshooting i think it would be fantastic so there's there's just a lot in there so h5p.org great 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 tool edpuzzle is a way that you can build interactive video let me just go back to it Open up Edpuzzle here. So in this one, this is an example of a, a video that I made, but you can go to any, they've got like, they've got YouTube in there, so you can pick any YouTube video you want. You can put in the question here, again, we'll go through the video, but along the way here, let me just go to here. You'll see that there's off to the right here, it says multiple choice, and then it stops. And then you can, you can put in questions along the way with the videos, right? Why is this important? Because it is. That's what we tell our students, right? Because it'll be on the test. That's the most important part. <laughs> so you can go on and then they, they can answer it and continue. So what this, what Edpuzzle does as well is you can enter all your students' names and you can actually have them grades. Like you can give them grades for this and then you can export it out and into your LMS. So if you use this as an actual graded uh, item, Edpuzzle is fantastic, super fun. To, to do and our students again they love they love video like there's two things our students love audio and video and to be, be able to give them something like this it gamifies it for them so they'll engage a little more uh let's go back to what i have here so that's those are some of the form i don't want to take up too much time because i want ed to talk about some of the amazing stuff he's done as well and tim um you notice i've got a fire hose here <laughs> that's a lot of information in half an hour's worth of time and so there's a ton and it, I've taken years to build up and, and do all this stuff. What I recommend is not to say, okay, there's no way I can do any of this. There's, that's too much. You know, I feel overwhelmed. I get that. What I do recommend is dipping your toe in, pick something that works and try it out. Try a, a Kahoot with your class and see how it goes. Try a Flipgrid. And that's one thing we had a, our afternoon or morning session this morning with our students. One of the students, his advice to us as instructors was, Hey guys, try stuff out. See if it works. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't, we're new to this as well as you are. And we get that. So same thing to us. Like, let's try these little different tools out and try it and see how it works. Again, you don't have to take your, your whole LMS and re remaster it and remake it work right now, but you can make it work right for you now. Right. So you can little things that you can add and try out and build. And then next thing you know, as you're, as you're kind of doing this, as you go, you start building up a nice little, repertoire of things to go with so it's very very useful that way I definitely stick your toe in 
try it out and reach out to people, reach out to Ed, reach out to Tim, reach out to myself and ask, how are you using these or what would you recommend for this? Or if you want to have a deeper conversation about anything I've gone over, I love talking about this stuff as I'm sure you can figure out by now. So let's keep the conversation going. So on that note, I just want to end with this. With the whole idea of bringing our students online and engaging them, more than ever, we need more, not fewer ways to listen to the voices of students reflecting on education. We need to bring them into these conversations. Remember that with all of the tools we're using, I want to bring it right back to how I started. All of these tools are meant to engage our students and make our students' lives easier. So let's ask them. Let's involve them. Let's see what they're saying about this because they have tools at their access that we've never heard of, or they might have ideas that we've never even thought of. So bring our students in to how, to how they want to learn and ask them questions. Don't think that you're the expert. You are the expert at your subject matter, but maybe your students know how to better learn in their context than we do. So let's use them. And so I'll just leave it open to any questions right now. And I'm sure there'll be lots of questions after as well. So any questions? I got, I got a bunch, but, uh, and I'll, I'll keep my eye on the chat too. So thanks, uh, for everybody who's, uh, engaging with that, uh, forum. That's awesome. Um, you mentioned earlier on professionalism, a lot of people that we bump into talk about, how do I know if my students are logging in? How do I know I can keep control of them on, on the leash called attendance? Um, what are you doing with that? So I have what I call a professionalism mark. And often I used to, we used to be called like, participation. A lot of instructors will use a participation mark. It's an easy 10% or whatever. So what I do is I, I say, okay, depending on the unit, I say, okay, it's 10% of your mark or 20% of your mark. And I'll tell them you are starting out with 10 out of 10, as far as professionalism is concerned. If you are late for a session and you don't let me know, or if you just don't show up to a session, I'm taking three marks off. So that now becomes seven out of 10. And I say, the reason why I do that is if you're late to a job and you don't tell your boss or you don't show up, you might get to keep your job. But if you do that a second time, I take off another three marks. So what are you at now? You're at four out of 10. That's a fail as far as our marks are concerned. So, and then if they keep doing that, then it's zero out of 10. Now I had a one student who's brilliant, absolutely one of the smartest students I've ever had. He pushed me on this he would be late all the time. So I took the mark off, took the mark off. He ended up with zero out of 10 for professionalism. This student normally would get a hundred percent. It was a unit that it was worth 20% for the professionalism. He got 80%. It rocked his world. He's not used to getting 80%. He got a hundred percent on all the assessments. He got a hundred percent on everything he handed in on all the tests. Like this guy should be an engineer, mm-hmm. but he ended up getting 80% for the unit. Why? Cause he wasn't professional and guess who's at every session now and guess who is there like before the session starts this right. student. So that's, that's how I'm handling making sure that they're popping online. I only have up to a maximum of 32 students. So it's mm-hmm. easy for me to tell if they're online or not. Mm-hmm. So, they, but they know once they know that, that, that somebody got dinged on that or they see it dinged on the, their own, this student was like shouting from the mountaintops to the class the next day. He's like, Hey guys, if you think Chad's not serious about that professionalism mark, believe me, he is because I lost a lot of marks for it. So right. they're all also guess what? My all these people are signing in that were normally late because they all started <laughs> getting dinged on it. Yeah, no, for sure, for sure. Good. Um, the other the other thing is um, how are, how are your colleagues uh, responding to your systemized approach to what you're doing? Uh, the, the colleagues that I'm interacting with they they have their own methods and a lot of them are very similar to these so it mm-hmm. seems to be working they some some still i mean my main colleagues i mean instructors as a whole across canada mm-hmm. some still would prefer to just do a live lecture and some not so some are are of the opinion that you should just point your webcam at the whiteboard and it's the same old same old so right uh, that's, that's on them. I'm, I'm not sure how well engaged the students are, but I'm not here to dismiss and say that they're wrong. I'm just saying that the way I work it is very, very different. All right. Um, and what's been the feedback from your students with the, uh, structured, uh, system that you have there with your check-in and your lecture and then, um, the independent study time, how are they feeling? Like, uh, I, I'm, I'm curious to know that. At the beginning, uh, some of them were not happy with it because 
some of them didn't like the fact that they were being forced to check in. And then I could easily push back on that one saying, well, you'd be in face-to-face class, you'd be there anyway. So that's mm-hmm. not a problem. Some of them struggled a little bit with uh, having that independent study time. Mm-hmm. But then I, I let them, like, I have a lot of conversations. I think that's what, what makes this work is I talk to my students a lot about how I understand that some of you are not morning people and that some of you are going to do your best work in the evening, in the afternoon. So mm-hmm. if you're taking that time in the morning to take your nap or to sleep in or do whatever you need to, just you need to backload that to your more productive time. And so they're starting, and because I do a lot of group work with them as well, it holds them accountable to their group members. So they pick times that they have to engage with each other. Mm-hmm. So for the most part, now that I'm eight weeks into this new method that I'm trying out, and so far it seems to be going really well. I do, every couple of weeks I do a survey asking how they're finding this and it's anonymous. and. Mm-hmm. I'd say almost all of them are really enjoying having the autonomy and the freedom to do this. And they do like having check-ins, the morning check-in and the afternoon check-in now because it helps them connect. Right. One last question. So you, you've got a lot of stuff here and I'm just going to take this piece away and, and get ready. So Ed, if you have something to share, then uh, why don't you load it up and I'll, I'll get it ready to go here. But um, you shared a lot of stuff. You use a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, what what was uh, two questions? First, a what's been an absolute game changer for you, and two, what would you recommend somebody start dipping their toe into? I'm going to answer that both with the uh, the, the check the checklist that I use. That has yeah. been a game changer with me, and I would start with that because mm-hmm. I just found our students are they weren't. They would always use the excuse, so I can't find it. Or, you know, if you want them to take a quiz, well, I couldn't find it under the quizzes. So to have it all laid out for them like that. And it, for me, it's a lot of work right now as I'm, cause I have to do it. I try to stay a week or two ahead. So I, mm-hmm. but I know that my next session that I teach, it'll come a lot easier because I've already got the checklist built. And so then I can start tweaking it. Right. So a lot of work on the front end, but to make the back end easier. Yeah. And that's kind of a follow up question too, right? Somebody, somebody asked us yesterday, like, how long does it take you to do all this stuff? And, mm-hmm. you know, one answer to that is, well, it takes me, like you said yesterday, it takes a day to do this and a day to do that. An- another way that I would answer that question, uh, in addition to what you said is it takes, it takes your career to do this, well, that's you have, but, but you have to start with the first step. And so just because you build it, and like you said, you get it to a point where you roll it from one course to the other, doesn't mean you stop. Right. And so you learn, uh, you learn a new tool, you learn a new little lever within the LMS that you can employ. Right. Yeah. So all those things to go on. Thank you so much for that. Awesome. Ed, I'm going to add your, uh, your thing here. Hey, I recognize that's that picture. Nice work. So it's uh, mine. It's, it's, it's an original. It's, uh, it's, 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 I think the license was CC by, so you're all good. Right um, on. Anyway, uh, I want to introduce you, Ed, to the crowd. Ed, you are a plumbing professor in the beautiful province of Ontario, and uh, we won't hold that against you. Um, but uh, it, it is it is an honor and a pleasure to share this space with you. Uh, you have uh, inspired and challenged us in so many different ways. Thank you for that. And you are the impetus and the reason for this community of practice coming together for the last little while, especially today. This is our third session. And so, Ed... Off to you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, so I, I, I apologize ahead of time. I'm probably going to repeat some stuff, uh, some similar stuff to uh, Chad, uh, just maybe in different forms. But uh, uh, on my uh, some screen there, I, I kind of used. I, I think of the tech as it's written on the screen there to create care. So I'm trying to I'm trying to use this to help care for my students and have empathy. So every little little thing I use, uh, or every little thing I uh, learn how to use and I implement it's with the, uh, the thing in mind that I want to make the, the student be able to learn more, to understand more, uh, just basically to grow more. And, uh, I, I do it for a variety of different ways. Some are, are low tech and some are high tech, depending how you want to look at it. So, um, kind of just like Chad, Chad talked on earlier. I, I do a, a asynchronous, uh, synchronous model or hybrid, whatever you want to call it. Um, and, uh, I do have a lot of stuff we're going to talk about them. I and mean, I load up a lot of stuff onto my learning management system, which is the D2L. Um, but I do have a, a, a smaller focus on an online session, uh, with my students. 
again, kind of similar to Chad, I keep it compressed. I try to focus on points that are, uh, that I know are usually hot button topics or, or the, or the usual problems kind of lie and try to focus on them and then try to interact with them and try to ask them questions because, um, hopefully, uh, not all the students, but hopefully they kind of started the learning process online. And then when we come to our discussion class, they have some of these ideas rolling around their head and I can, uh, you know, kind of just pry in and, and see how they understand it. And uh, right uh, currently I had just used Microsoft Teams because um, to be honest with you, that was the first thing I saw. It was available to us for our institution and uh, I found it quite easy to use. Um, um, but like we mentioned, maybe uh, our number two session of the day with the students uh, experience is that uh, even though I might have found it easy to set up and I thought that they could get online pretty quickly, uh, we did have some, I did have some struggles for people how to figure out how to get online. Um, it was hard because I usually in the past, I would be right there with them in the classroom. And I would show them on my computer how to get online. So it was kind of hard that way, trying to type things out and send pictures and videos and trying to get them online. But, um, and again, I, I keep my, uh, my sessions are always re recorded, um, just in case anybody can make it. I'm not, I don't like to put the onus on that they have to attend, especially with the beginning of COVID. A lot of the, our students couldn't make it because some of my students, I found it quickly had kids at home. Uh, we're now caring for older people at home, um, had dogs or whatever, like myself and, uh, and kids like myself trying to learn online as an elementary school or high school. And uh, so I, I, I tried to, I tried to remember to record all the time. Unfortunately, I did make the error once in a while, not recording a session. And of course it would be right near the end of the session, but then I would take, um, I would take in my, in my own, my own mistake. I would, after I told the students, after we were offline, I said, I forgot to record it. Um, but as soon as I get offline tonight, sometime before midnight, I'll, I'll record one by myself, kind of doing the same thing over again. Uh, just obviously wouldn't have any, your, any guys talking at any questions, but uh, a lot of these features, I'm going to be using Bongo come the fall and actually next week to be exact. Um, because as a team, we've decided uh, we're doing our apprenticeship. I was doing our post-secondary, just finishing our post-secondary. We kind of all went in different directions. So this time I, tried to talk to my colleagues and try to get a consensus. So there are all, those of us doing our apprenticeship came to a consensus to use our bongo, which is our, our through it's on our D2L anyways, to make it easier for the students to find and, and to keep it consistent. Um, but uh, on any of these features, especially the teams, maybe not so much the bongos, I'm not too sure, but I'm still learning the bongo. So I'm not, I'm not hundred percent prepared yet, but uh, uh, as we were mentioned about back channels, I had my students who were, I knew my students were using teams as a back channel uh, once they, figured out how I was using it and how they could use it for themselves. But I always let them know that, you know, these tools are there and because we're using it for our class doesn't mean you guys can't use it for a back channel. So by all means to set up study groups, uh, uh, set up groups, I, I fully encourage that. Right. So um, going online, the live sections, I thought were kind of important too, because uh, it helped me connect with my students so they could actually see my face. Uh, I didn't get to see all their faces, which was fine. I probably helped with the streaming and stuff as well. Um, but I it brought that human element so that we weren't in the classroom, but they could still see my face, see what was going on. It wasn't always pretty. Sometimes it was in the basement. Uh, so you saw the unfinished basement. <laughs> sometimes it was, sometimes it was in my bedroom. Sometimes it was down on the kitchen table, Wh wherever the kids weren't, I had to find a place where I had to go. So, so they definitely had a, they got fun with it. I started using the funky backgrounds for some of them and putting up pictures and stuff and even stuff we were talking about. I put a picture in my background just to kind of change things up a bit. Mm -hmm. um, but I also think it's a good way for them to connect too, because they can all start talking to each other online a little bit there as we're going along. I found that very useful too, because they, as I was discussing stuff, they were having conversations in the chat, about other classes or other concerns that they were trying to relate to each other. So even though they weren't paying attention to me, I wasn't overly offended by it, but, uh, and also the other thing that I liked with the live chats that I always did was kind of similar to Chad, but I, I would come online, especially when things were evolving, like changing from minute to minute, as far as what's going on, what's coming on, what's going off the school now with COVID-19. Mm -hmm. I, I spent that first little while reviewing everything I knew up to the minute. So, okay, this is what I know now. I mean, when we're done our class today, it may have changed, but this is what I know now just to kind of set your mind at ease. I want to tell you what's going on. This is what's going on. We're, you know, we are going to be doing the, the practical stuff. We haven't, I don't know when yet, but we're working on it. And just to kind of ease them. And I, the other thing I would do too is uh, share a story about what's going on with me here, right? So to let them know that, you know, I'm struggling too. I'm online, but I can hear my boys fighting in the background. 
So that just kind of that give that human element. So I think that was having a live discussion kind of helps with that, whatever tool you use. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I just, there's a picture of my uh, MLS, not that important, but we'll move on. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> my team, should I say, whatever, not important, we'll move along. I don't want to talk too much, but um, I try to, uh, on my, my D2L, so my MLS system, I have it set up so that my content online is broken into weeks. And every week has three pages. So it has an overview what's coming up that week. Uh, there's a practice page, practice and sorry, uh, content practice page, I guess I call it. And then uh, a summary page. So it's kind of breaking it down so they, they could fall step by patch. I just go, go to page one, go to page two, page three, and then that's that week's done. And then throughout that, it would give you uh, hyperlinks to uh, whether it be uh, stuff I wanted you to read online, uh, as well as hyperlinks like I'm putting on the screen right now to activities I want them to do. They were embedded. Um, so I, I, this is what I tried to do to help to really engage them and, and, and kind of keep it the same as way it was before. We had done a lot of cahoots before we had live in person. Um, but I didn't know if, if I wanted to include them in the class because I was keeping it short anyway. So I wanted to have a, a resource once I figured out that they, I, could, I could assign it to them through Kahoot. And then all they had to do was hit the hyperlink that said, uh, I don't know, uh, uh, drain plans. We're talking about drain plans. They would hit drain plans that would take them right to the Kahoot and log them in and it would be like a coup like they normally would do just not in the classroom. And, uh, but I, these activities that would, I would embed was, they were good because they could embed them, but also because they were all interactive and then they could redo them and redo them and redo them and read them over as many times as they wanted to. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I thought that was very important. And, uh, and I think for the most part, uh, talking to the students and, and me even trying them out myself. I think they were very, you know, student friendly. They're right there embedded in the, in the content on the D2L for them. Um, and as, as Chad mentioned before, a lot of these things are not that hard to do. Um, even the H5P, I was quite impressed with all of the, Chad had mentioned all the different functions you can do on it, different things you can create. And, and trust me, I'm, I'm one of those uh, uh, stereotypical husbands, men who don't read instructions. So I went online, they actually had, they had tutorials on how to do things. I read the first couple of lines. And I thought, let's just start pushing buttons and feeding stuff in, you know, put, you know, type a title in, you know, do all these things and start adding stuff in. And, uh, you know, and sometimes I had to go back and, and go to the tutorial and, and read the instructions a little fuller. Um, but I realized once I got one down or two down, it, they're, they're quite easy. It's just a matter of taking the time to uh, type stuff in, add video in and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, for me, it was a great, great uh, resource for formative assessments. Um, it was more so for the students and, and their aspect because it was embedded. So I couldn't actually, so the Kahoot I could see uh, because I, I'm able to see how they perform. But any of the uh, other embedded assignments, I couldn't see that they actually did it. I couldn't see if they did well on it, but um, I did have some people come back to me if they had questions, if they got it wrong and they didn't understand why they got it wrong. So I assumed that, that it was working, that, you know, people were coming back for feedback. And again, they're quite easy to build. Um, I kind of have two on the screen here. Um, The one on the top left-hand corner is more of a, you know, fill in the blank, kind of drag the wood over into the blank. You know, very basic, very, maybe very boring, but, you know, uh, still, I think it was fairly effective. It kind of got them to interact with the content again, Mm -hmm. because I know some students, like you said, you know, are not the best readers or or skim through stuff. So when they went to do the activity, they would realize, oh, I didn't quite get it. But then they, you know, they would actually have to read the stuff to slide over into the right box. And then by them reading it there, you know, they were kind of, in a way I was kind of forcing them to learn it. So I think Mm -hmm. uh, some cases. So um, the other thing I was doing was, I can't really see it too there, but the bottom, bottom corner, um, uh, this was like a stack elevation. So I, I'd had like hot spots on it, or if I, I just asked them a simple question, you know, on this drawing here, um, where would all the cleanups be located by code that we've learned so far? And they would have to hover over the spots, click on it. It, it would either say no, or would say, yes, you're correct. And then maybe even pull up the code reference to let them know that, you know, just to re-remind them what the code reference was for it and why it was located there. <clears throat> I don't have it in the slide here, but I just, uh, a while back, I did a couple of videos on uh, my own videos and I implanted them in so that what Chad was talking about, I have a couple of videos where it stops every couple of minutes, uh, maybe every you know minute, 30 seconds and asks us a little question. It pops up a little question. Mm-hmm. And again, 
it's not that hard to do. Um, we don't have to, you know, I think I'm a techie. I'm not a techie, but uh, all the people do all the coding for us. We don't have to worry about that. You just got to drop the information in. Um, other things that I thought were key and uh, getting feedback from some of our st my students from the earlier session, uh, it, it really enforces it that I was uh, making lots of short videos. Uh, very, I tried to keep them under 10 minutes. That was the key. Uh, really, if I could get them under five minutes, the better. I think that was better to keep their attention span. And again, I would just embed them in so that they don't get sidetracked and go off to some other YouTube video that's more exciting about dogs or people falling over or something like that. Um, so, cause I know we all have the tendency to do that. So, you know, I got to learn about and, uh, many years ago. I, I did, I set my own YouTube channel, but I never had any videos. So now I have a, I don't know, maybe I have 20 or 30 videos now. I don't know how many videos I have on there now, but not very many. But again, like you guys were mentioning, there's a kind of slow progress, build one, record it. If I like it, upload it and now it's there. I can use it anytime I want. I can embed it anytime I want in the, in the future years coming up. But I use a lot of stuff like uh, uh, screencast-o-matic. So if I wanted to record my screen and then I use iMovies a couple of times too, depending on the video, um, what I was trying to accomplish and how I had to do it, I would use different methods for different things. So sometimes I just recorded myself on my cell phone, upload to YouTube. Sometimes I use the, I did a couple of little videos and I add them together, maybe on the iMovie on my iPhone just to give it kind of funky a couple of times I threw in some of those sound effects, you know, like the big uh, fog horn. So uh, just to kind of get the students attention there to see if they were paying attention. And if I had this unique screencast, cause sometimes I had stuff on my screen, I just wanted to record and then make, you know, and again, I could add it in. Um, but yeah, um, I think it's good for demos. So I did like demos for my, how to draw video, how to draw drawings for plumbing. Um, I've done it before for, uh, for showing stuff in the lab as well. I uh, didn't have to use it this time because I wasn't teaching it right now. But again, they're good to, you can, you can embed a lot of these things into your learning management systems. The students can go back to retrieve it. Um, the other thing I did was uh, start doing video announcements. So every week on my MLS, I do, I usually just type a little message in saying, okay, this is week number whatever, or, you know, the week has ended and week number four is coming up. Make sure before the week number three ends, you got to do a couple more things online if you haven't done so. And then let them know what's coming up. And then uh, that was kind of it, but it was a type type kind of boring version and seeing how my language and my grammar, and my spelling is not up to speed. I think I should have been using video a long time ago. And <laughs> so, uh, but I tried to make it the, the key part I tried to do is make it personal. And I, I had one video where I had my, it's going to come up on the screen next. I don't think I can show her or not, but I had my, my dog and you can actually see when my boys appear in the video. And that's because I was just ranting. I was doing one of those uh, Rick Mercer's kind of rant back and forth <laughs> outside my house. And then I ended up on my, by my deck in the backyard. But again, and then, you know, I was just trying to make it personal, look at, you know, and uh, make people understand that, you know, I'm at home, I got things going on. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I think, I think it's a good way to connect with your students, um, even when they're not online. Um, I don't think my thought is going to advance there, but I don't think the video is going to work. Cause I don't think it embedded it properly, but we'll pass on that for now. No big deal. Uh, off office hours. So I did set up office hours and well, I'm always pretty much available. You know, the, the old standard method email 24 seven, like, uh, like Chad says, I have a, I also have a problem setting boundaries sometimes, but whatever, if I can get that question answered and ease their mind, it takes me to, two lines to type, then it's two lines to type and it's, and I'm there, I'm, it's done. Right. So I'm also a person, I'm also a person just like to have things building up on my desk or, or my computer or my laptop. So, um, but I use the teams. I set up the teams. I, I told my, my students, okay, we're going to have live sessions this day. And this other day I have a designated for your class office hours from this time to this time we can, you can come on teams. Um, and chat with me there. I'll get a notification right away to my phone or we can prearrange it through an email or whatever. And, uh, so I did use it a few times. Uh, not as much as I thought, um, though my office hours in the past, I haven't used as much still. Um, but usually it's been kind of unscheduled hours. So, um, but it's good because I could go online, use the same, same platform I was using for the class, share the screen, bring up the camera, which made it obviously a lot easier to explain a lot of different things there. They're hard to explain in emails. And again, it gives me a chance to create connection with the students, let them know what's out there. Even if they don't use it, they know that there's that sense of care, hopefully from me. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and when they do use it and then 
it's successful, then they it reinforces that they actually do care about what they're what they're doing. So there's a, an example of a chat, and then the kind of the old boring system. I did I still use the old emails. Um, it kind of goes hand in hand with the next slide that I didn't put in the right order, but uh, I would keep an eye on my students online, see how they were progressing, and. I would throw those emails out, especially at the beginning of the semester. I realized after a while, some students had dropped out and just didn't actually officially drop out. Um, but I would send a quick email to say, hey, are you doing okay? Is there anything I can help you with? And uh, I've noticed you haven't been online for a while and just figure out and just try and see them. And some responded back to me and they, they said they really appreciate it. They said that they've been having a hard time with the online experience. They've got uh, family issues, whatever. So it was good and we can reconnect that way. And it helped a lot because some students reconnected it and, and uh, were able to overcome uh, their concerns. So it's just a simple email like that there, there to say, just check in on you, make sure you're okay, right? So the old fashioned way. And the other thing that worked hand in hand was my, I used the uh, progress on the D2L or our D2 Connect as we call it. I see how my students were progressing. Were they online? Were they logging in? Were they looking at the, were they clicking on the content? I don't know if they were actually you know, absorbing it all, but at least I knew they were online. And that's why I could ask that questions, email them and see if they were, cause they might be struggling. Right. So, um, so they saw they were online and they weren't doing successful on, on an assignment Then I could say, okay, I can see you. I can see you're online, but you're not asking. I, I noticed that you're not asking me any questions. So uh, is there anything I can help you with? <clears throat> or I could find out that they weren't online and that's probably why they were struggling. So, and then try to see if I can help them. So, and the one thing I noticed it too during our time and thankfully uh, during calls was really good at it was early on, we realized that some students wouldn't have laptops. So um, using the old email was a good way. I could, I could converse with the students, simple. And I said, you having problems? They said, yeah, I have a problem. I only have a phone. I don't have a laptop. So I was able to connect them with the school and, and get loaners out to them. So kind of went well. So that's about it for me. There it is. Perfect. Somebody asked in the chat here, Ed, what were the three pages you used? There's the one was the overview, then there's two others. Uh, what, one was called overview, one was called uh, content uh, content practice, and the, the third one was called, uh, uh, sorry, summary. I'm sorry, I was clicking mm -hmm. some stuff on my screen so I can see you guys better. Um, so yeah, they, they, they're... When you go to go into content, you can either uh, upload and drag stuff in, or you can create a file. And I think depending on the institution and depending if you know, even if you have D2L, you might not have all the, all the art. My school has uh, made up kind of stencil ones. that are like, you know, with the school colors, mm -hmm. you can go change the banners, the pictures on it, you know? And uh, so I've kind of started using, I started making my own until we, till we, uh, we created some for the school. Cool. So I'm just trying to keep it easy because uh, um, I don't think it's just my school. I'm, and I'm, I'm, I don't want to be ignorant here, but the whole uh, jump, they call it jumpstart model where it's the kind of the overview. I had, a, I would always have a connection activity to get them into the content. It might be a short video, like say from this old house talking about something we were about to talk about or just a funny video. And then, and then have uh, the content with practice activities about what I've been teaching and then have a summary to summarize up and then some words like a next summer activity. It might be a Kahoot or something like that. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we are one hour in and I didn't say 15 words. That's amazing. Well, Sorry. I couldn't see the clock. Sorry. No, that's good. Uh, All good. Oh, good. Uh, yeah, so uh, tons of stuff in there for for people to uh, to go back and and watch and and pick apart. And um, one thing, I'll just finish with one thing that that I've clued uh, in on. I that's not the right way to say it. Um, honed in on, targeted in on. It was a course trailer. Uh, yeah. Telling my students uh, what the course is about, what they can expect, uh, what I would expect. Um, asking them what they expect from me and from the course. And uh, uh, I, I, I recorded it in less than 15 minutes and I did a tiny bit of editing. So the whole thing all together um, were 
it took me 35, 40 minutes to do. And good thing now is it's done. And I, I did it generically enough that I can roll it over into other courses and, uh, and use it. I don't have to redo it. Um, but uh, using video, I think, is, is going to be a, a real good touch point for our students. All right. Um, thank you for all of you who have stuck it out this long with us. And uh, we appreciate it. This was uh, a great day for us to sit down and uh, you can come back and look at sessions one and two. Sessions one and two was about um, philosophers and practitioners. Session two is about the student experience with COVID and TVET. And uh, this one is obviously about tools and tech for TVET. So uh, I'm not sure if I can say this out loud, but I'm going to, and it's going to be live and recorded, but we'll probably be doing more of these in the future and uh, tell your friends and neighbors and, and all your colleagues and future apprentices, students, whatever. Um, we'll be doing more of these. I think this has been good and uh, I think it'll provide a ton of value. So thanks everybody. And uh, we'll see you on the other side. Hey, everybody. Thanks again for taking the time to listen to the podcast. We really appreciate it because we understand there are thousands and thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of podcasts out there. And we're just so grateful that you've tuned in and listened to ours. So many thanks again. Thanks again for doing that. Uh, you can find this podcast as well as many others on my website, praxispedagogy.com. We also have a YouTube channel called Praxis Guild. So you can find that there and I'll include some links in the show notes for you there. Next week, episode 35, Sally, Chad and I, we sit down and we talk about the great Canadian training gap. So you don't want to miss that. So subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform, whether that's iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, we're on all those. Go ahead and subscribe there. And then one more thing, share the podcast with others. Tell others about the podcast. This is out there. We exist to help others center themselves in their pedagogy and their care. So thanks so much for tuning in. Take care.